0: Fenton, Witten, happy Friday, my friends. Happy Friday to you, brother. Mate, Look what like. is going on in the world? What are you drinking today? Welcome to Wealth, Wine and Wisdom, folks. Um, I'm out and about. I'm up in Brisbane in a fancy hotel and I've scratched around in the room and I've got myself a, this is the type <laughs> of wine I should drink, Fenton. It's a little mini bottle. It's a one glass. Well, looks like two glasses. but <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, that looks like a, a small glass for a giant.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it holds all right. See, see, I've, I've I've put some product in the background here. I've placed some product <laughs> yeah. over here. Well, out, it looks of the, out of the middle, you've yeah. done
1: a good job. You've done a good <laughs> job. Like with, with limited resources, limited time, you, you've done an incredible job. I'm I'm super happy. So you're up uh, taking some time away from the week and uh, and enjoying Big Briz Vegas, you? Eh?
0: Mate, getting an early uh, an early uh, little mini break in with the fans. So uh, tonight I'm away for five days. So uh should be should be fun, but uh, up the road. But um yeah, starting the uh, starting the little mini break off with a little glass of wine and a hangout with you, mate. And a big hello to Allison. There's a bunch of you guys on already now. So give us a shout out, folks. Let us know who's in the house. Great to see all of you guys joining us for another Wealth Wine and Wisdom. But um Andy, uh, a good show ahead of us, but uh let's uh let's tell the folks who are joining us, um, you know. Do the
1: intros of uh, Wealth, Wine, and Wisdom. Well, mate, uh, it's 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 been a while since I've had the honours, but uh, seeing as you're on holiday, mate, I may as well uh, let well, sit it. sit back and relax, it... and you do
0: the just, you do your stuff.
1: You, you just Stop. sit back. I'll do the heavy lifting. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> welcome everybody. Uh, you can throw them up there, Marcus. It's good to uh, to see you here, mates. Uh, welcome. Yes. Uh, we've got Ann here uh, from Cairns, uh, Ann geez i'd love to be up where you are i tell you what it's freezing down here and uh and james how are you guys going hopefully you're all well uh we've got a crack up show today and uh what i'd say is any of you have got whether it's your superannuation and you're with an industry fund or you've got uh you know equity market or global market queries start to get that hashtag q uh, ready for the chat because we've we've got something special in line for you guys uh, and girls here today uh so Uh, Wealth, Wine and Wisdom. Uh, Myself, uh, Andy Fenton, investment, reformed investment banker from many, many years ago, uh, now uh, advisor to business owners uh, around Australia, trying to teach them how to street fight and do it the right way. Jason, my uh, counterpart in in legal crime, uh, the crime being how how to uh, minimize your tax, because apparently that's a crime. Uh, Just ask Kerry Packer and uh and jace's 20 plus years in property i was just saying to to one of our guests that we're going to introduce you to later is that uh, i don't know anybody more knowledgeable in property but uh, i missed out on the knowledgeable in understanding the street fighter tactics for business owners in order to be able to really navigate what is sometimes an incredibly brutal journey and for those business owners out there you know that uh, it is uh, it, it's 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 your life it's your blood sweat and tears and um, so not just a, an amazing mind when it comes to property uh, but an incredible business owner with some incredible skills uh, we've got Angela who's just Walking across the road to buy a Reds. Hopefully, you're not watching us and uh, and walking. Make sure that uh, you listen to the little as yeah, don't you
0: are. Get in by a car, Angela.
1: Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. Uh, so, wealth, wine, and wisdom. The 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 little preamble. Uh, three years almost, uh, where Jason and I came together to start helping business owners and investors navigate through COVID, because there was a lot of misinformation, a lot of information just flowing in all all directions, and uh, so we started to come together and and decipher that and and then we decided to bring that to you guys live as we debrief the week. And that's effectively what it is still today. It's here for you. Uh it's here for us to share our collective uh, minds, sometimes some wisdom. Uh in Jason's case, never take advice on what wine he's drinking ever. It's just not a good idea.
0: Yeah, I'm not um, the one who knows what's going on with that. Fenton's uh got much better uh much better taste. Well, uh, something's happened in my room here, Fenton. So you keep going. I think maybe my room's turned into um, into uh, set the uh, I don't know, set, set the mood scene or something. <laughs> it just I don't know.
1: Ma- ma- maybe there's a little bit of a surprise that's waiting for Jason uh, in in the room. <laughs> a little bit. This this, ladies and gentlemen, could actually get quite interesting. We'll, we'll see what's in store for Jason as the lights go down and the music turns up. You but, keep talking. Uh, <laughs> But so, uh, so ultimately, this is our space where we get to debrief the week with you. So, what we're going to share with you tonight, with a special guest as well, which is uh, is a, a good friend of mine, uh, and uh, and some not old as in uh, years, but uh, we've been <laughs> with each other for quite some time. Who's going to share some incredible insights? Uh, a very, very sharp mind uh, of all things investing, uh, own business. Who's now well over a billion dollars of funds under management. So, get the hashtag Q ready the questions as uh, as we introduce Dan. But perhaps before we do, mate, uh, as a little bit of an introduction uh, to to Dan and also what we've been seeing in the news, might jump across uh, to what's in the news. Uh, because, ladies and gentlemen, what we do here is we, we have a little bit of a look-see because what tends to happen in the news, shocked and disagreed, I know, I know, <laughs> they have a tendency to over-exaggerate and they have a tendency to be full of shit. And, nah, uh, uh, no. <laughs> so, so one of our goals here is to try and help everybody just uh navigate some of that and uh so what i thought was a great introduction because dan will talk about price and value and asset classes and what's good to have and what potentially you should be avoiding and all of these various different things but uh, most of us don't make uh investment decisions or even decisions based on that we make a lot of it based on this so AMC is is actually a gaming stock, and I love this because ultimately this is a uh, this is a headline from the Financial Review. Uh, I'll read it verbatim so I don't get it wrong. Uh, Let them come, Cliff Essens uh, told meme traders, meme traders. So Cliff told the meme traders after revealing he was shorting their favorite stock AC, uh, AMC. There's the dyslexia coming out, um, and they did. Uh, and ultimately, I thought this is a great discussion point because we talked about meme stocks before Jase, and meme stocks are are effectively those stocks that end up with cult followings um tesla was was basically one, although Tesla had a lot of substance uh a m c is definitely one then we had you, you could almost- uh, they were meme coins as well uh so doge coin right so basically a, a Saturday night live appearance by Elon Musk where he took the piss out of Dogecoin and it, and it fell through the floor, All right? So these meme stocks are these things that gain a huge amount of momentum where the taxi driver tells you you should be in AMC and uh, but ultimately, um, mate, what ended up happening is a, a quant manager unleashed revenge against these guys because quant is the exact opposite to emotional trading. So meme stocks are emotion. We love it. We love the people behind it. We don't care what it's made off of. We just want more of it. Um, but quant is the exact opposite. It's what are the numbers? What's the reality? You know, what's actually going on behind the scenes? Is this company going to be around with a million supporters, but zero in the cash? And, uh, and when you and- say
0: quant, Vinton, is that company or is that a style of analyzing an investment?
1: Oh, great is question. That, yeah. Well, quant, quant, a technical term, quantitative. Um, yeah, so creative, it's yeah. looking only at the numbers. So when you talk about a quant manager, a quant manager is is what we refer to in the industry as a as a black box uh sometimes but ultimately they're just making decisions based off numerical data but they're not looking at the the art they're looking more so at the science and the maths behind it so an example might be uh there's a type of black box trader uh which is a an investment management technique uh, which is called momentum trading right and that means that when something in the market gains a lot of momentum and more and more people are buying and it goes up and more and more and more people are buying and going up kind of like tesla uh back two two or three years ago when we were i think i said buy uh when i probably shouldn't have uh but you should have bought right um when that started trading it created a lot of momentum more and more people buying in so a momentum manager will pick up on that amount of influx of funds into that stock and they'll start to actually ride that momentum, ride that wave. So it's purely analytical based. It's yeah. purely based on quantitative data. Yeah. Right. It doesn't care if, if Elon is the CEO. It doesn't care if it's the darling buds of May. Uh, it makes decisions based off the numbers. Um, so there's a little bit of a war between the, the quant world. Uh, so the numbers world and the meme stock world. And this will be an interesting one to play out. So anybody who wants to see, see who wins this stash, just Google uh, AMC. Don't invest in it. I don't think it's a great idea. But uh, have a look at uh, what's going to come on this because uh, it's ultimately when uh, generally when the numbers guys actually start to back this stuff, they're generally right and, uh, and we'll see how it, how it ends up. But, mate, I thought I'd throw this one over your side of the equation because I, I read this. Now, well, Jason's definitely going to have something to say about this. <laughs> uh, and and I'm going to read it verbatim, mate, and I'll throw it over to you. It says, suburbs that post the biggest gains during the pandemic uh, are losing the most value, but others, uh, others are beginning to drop as well. So ultimately a pessimistic article. It says, highest rising uh, post codes during COVID are the fastest falling. Mate, Some. What's, is, this, is this true? Is there, is there any truth to this? What's the reality behind it?
0: Well, Fenton, you know, uh, as we all know in, um, in misdirection and lies and uh, misinformation, a small amount of truth uh, mixed in with a lot of bullshit actually gives some things validity, right? So right now if, you, if you're talking about this, is it true? And technically right now when we analyse the actual property market, the answer is yes. The, the most expensive property market or segment in the property market in the residential world uh, ha, is at this moment in time falling the fastest, right? So, so in and of itself, it's a, it's a true comment, but does it paint the, the same picture? No, it's absolute bullshit because the previous three years, that segment's gone up between 30 and 50% in some places. And we're now talking about a 2% decline, right? Yeah. Like, so So let's put it in perspective. Andy, you and I like these things about collecting dots and connecting dots, right? So the headline is accurate, but, you know, in the scheme of things, you know, if your property's up 30% and it correct, course corrects 2%, you know, you're not crying in your soup about it. But the media is dining out on the headline, right? So really at the end of the day, you know, like, like even when you were talking about you know the, the the quantitative investing, it's about the data, it's about the information. That's it, and 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 finding out you know compared to what, like you know the process of seeing the info and comparing it to timeframes, comparing it to to you know, um, you know uh, different market segments, et cetera, et cetera. It's interesting. It's re- interesting right now. Some of those, uh, <laughs> yeah, we love this one. <laughs> you know some of those things right now if you're looking at the same research because i read the same data the same research paper it's saying that the cheapest stuff the, the the crappest markets are actually um holding their own right so the cheapest rubbish stock the worst demographic for you know um, overall wealth for real estate is holding its own yeah and you know it doesn't take einstein to work out andy that the cheapest thing at the bottom of the market is always appealing to, to the, the majority of the buyers, right? So it's, it, it, it doesn't fall as much as something where, you know, that, that people are paying 3 and $4 million for. So at the end of the day, it's an accurate comment in isolation but not accurate in, um, in totality when it comes to the marketplace. So, yeah, it's there. Again, it's that, uh, it's that uh, you know, clickbaiting that's going on. And uh, for most people, let's face it: if you're up, you know, if you if you're up thirty percent and it comes off even ten percent, you're still twenty percent up. Who who cares? You know, at the end of the day, that's what happens. It's a very normal thing. Markets overshoot. The real estate market is overshot by a good percentage, and it's adjusting now because it's cost based, which is usually driven by interest rate. Interest rate price um, is now adjusting, you know, upwards rather than downwards. So yeah, it's there.
1: Well, mate because my line of thinking and and maybe this is a good way to, uh segue to kind of introduce dan uh in a few moments and yeah uh, 100 allison yeah, 100% allison, yeah. <laughs> they'll, they'll never ruin uh ruin a good headline ever 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 well that's clickbait journalism ladies and gentlemen that's that's what it's all about and that's i uh, guess what we're here to help you out with because ultimately you can gather data um and you can gather all of the dots up the far left-hand side and then you can start to turn them into information which means you you sort the data into something that is meaningful uh and then you've got to you've got to test your bias on that information because most of us want confirmation bias we want to believe that we're right all of the time and the problem is uh is that if you look for it whatever you look for you're going to see uh, and if you you're looking for a conspiracy theory well clearly this is a unicorn that you're looking at um but ultimately, mate, one of the things that pings into my analytical brain when, when I start to see headlines like we just did is I'd go, well, somebody who's bought a, high, a high-end house, like, well, let's say Chris Hemsworth, I heard that he sold his pad uh, up in Byron Bay. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure whether it was a profit or a, or a loss, but ultimately that sort of a transaction for him is not a large amount of money. And, uh, and if people are buying lifestyle properties in the, in the multiple of millions and they go off, actually transacting that property, when I think about it just from a you know if-it-were-me basis, I go, well, yeah, if it made sense, well, I don't want to have that anymore because COVID's gone and I don't need the, the double place, whatever the case may be. But then if you have a look at other areas, people are going, well, I will never sell until I'm kicked out onto the streets. And that's got to skew the, the property data.
0: Yeah, and, and the other thing that skews the property data um, is extremes in that property data. And and um, maybe you, I mean, I've never asked you this question, Andy, so it's a probably an a interesting one, and maybe even, you know, Dan could talk about it later on. You know, um, when you get extremes in pricing in a in a suburb, it skews the data. So, you know, the difference between the data for property stats between the median house price... Uh, and the average house price. Now the media likes to dine out on those. The differences on those two, right? So you know, you know the median house price and the the average house price. You know the median, you know, removes uh, extremes, and then the average, you know, bundles it all together.
1: Okay. Well, it's so, like what we were talking about last week with core inflation versus headline inflation. Yes.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know the average person we don't get taught that stuff at school like you don't get to hang on did they say median or did they say average you know and you're like oh (laughs) fuck i don't know you know
2: it's like
1: you're like sign sign cos 10 oh shit no that's geometry yeah,
0: yeah and so you know no wonder a lot of people get bamboozled and confused um and um you know that's part of your and my passion mate to you know communicate that to to people to really sort of increase their acumen when it comes to analyzing this stuff because we do give away a lot of power and um and um uh you know like an unwritten ground rule that you know the Finn review because they're a reputational newspaper reports only accurate things or you know you know uh you know an accountant is always right you know like it's the, it's these kind of things that we go. Yeah, it, and it's not right. So, you know, it's It's, it's an assumed
1: truism, but in yeah. the actual fact that it, it could, in some cases, couldn't be further from the truth. And, yeah. uh And we and, believe and that the sources that we're taking information from are right because that's the way that we always have. Your accountant does your tax and, and they'll keep you safe. Yeah. The Fin Review is a financial uh, newspaper and it will report the facts um, and it has done for many years, but Jesus, getting a bit loose, actually, mate. You you might <laughs> may or may not have seen a couple of your comments that because I go through it and I've got it on my iPad. I'm thinking about getting rid of the sub, uh, subscription now, but every now and again, I see Witten's actual comments. <laughs> so, you're better than this. Don't print this, trash. I
0: might <laughs> like, oh, like. Come on, Finn <laughs> Review. You're better than this, dude. You know, <laughs> but you know, I, I think that's um. You know, you're talking about that sort of, you know, this bias, this cognitive bias. You know, and that's probably a good segue to sort of introduce our guest for, for today, Andy. You know, it's really, you know, this idea that, you know, property better than shares, that's better than business. Like, you know, none of that is true in any way, shape or form. You know, they're all great for whatever, whatever um, you know, you're looking to achieve. Uh, and to be honest, I, I think, you know, if you want a absolutely rock solid, you know, wealth foundation, you should have. An understanding of multiple um pieces of the puzzle uh, and understand which bit's going to suit you for what reason and um you know um and that's one of the things I'm very grateful for for you, mate, because over the last sort of five or six years we've known each other you know and and dive deep you know you've you've helped me understand and educate a lot more um because I was a you know fairly one eyed when it came to the real estate world and um you know <laughs> you know. Did my ten thousand hours in, in that in that industry, but um, you know I'm very grateful to to see a lot of lot of uh, similarities um, in in the other space. So why don't we dive in and get our guest in in the mix, mate?
1: Hundred percent. Well, mate, it's a good segue because uh, asset classes, uh, it's not one's better than the other. Um, it's sometimes how you combine them, and uh, and a lot of a lot of people out there believe that you know they they can pick the unicorn that sits there but most of them are full of shit and so uh we're going to bring in Dan in a moment um Dan from Anova he's 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 a good mate and uh an old friend uh not old by age but uh <laughs> old, he's been in my life for a little while and um uh, uh we were talking just off uh, off screen a little while ago about a fund that he was thinking about launching called Rogue uh not and really that actually a renegade. Oh, renegade, renegade. Well, actually, both both are quite uh, well, rogues, probably know, not quite right. right rogue. <laughs> but um, but Dan Dan manages uh, an incredibly successful fund called uh, Anova, or it's not a fund; it's actually uh, a, a series uh, of investments and managed accounts. And uh, and mate, we've known each other for a while now, and the the, the fund has ticked over its ten year earnings, which is an incredible landmark. And that's been ahead of most of the the, the lads that are, I'm looking at in town. That uh, are some of the really big names on a global basis. So mate, really happy for you to to come in and um and and share a little bit of your your wisdom with us, uh, mate. I'll throw it over the fence. Did did Jason and I fuck any of the points up uh, earlier on? Did we did, did, did we say anything that wasn't quite true? Because <laughs> <laughs> no. we should get rid of the elephants
3: uh, first. No, the the only thing I correct is Jason. If something goes up by thirty percent, then down by ten, you're up by seventeen, not twenty. Oh, that's, that's very interesting. compounding works, right? So if you lose you lose fifty percent of something, you need to get a hundred percent to get it back, right? If you lose twenty five, you need thirty three to make it back. That's yeah. that's the nonlinear profile in which um, compounding works. So other than that, though, I mean, you as you and I have discussed, Andy, um, one of the key philosophies we've got is that. You know, the price you pay is ultimately the, the biggest driver of what you're going to get in terms of return. Um, and you've just articulated that, Jason, that you know, really high quality, great properties. Well, if you end up, if you kind of overpay for them, if you pay too much for them, well, you've got to expect some level of volatility. Like if you're going to pay a whole lot for them, like they're worth an amount. Yeah. If I think of it on a chart and say, well, this is how much it's worth and this is the price, the closer you are to there, well, then the less return you're going to get because you bought it up here, not Denny. Yeah, yep. it's not rocket science, right? No, and
0: it's not, and and, and often, you know, uh, often I think people think it might be too, and and it's and it's nice to sort of you know simplify it as much as possible because um, you know certainly in your game and and certainly in the real estate game, you know, there can be a lot of uh, a lot of people trying to make it more complicated so they can be impressive oh. rather than actually you know get a result for their clients, right?
3: yeah there's a lot of that that goes on and that's that's often quite wild, why those black boxes are black boxes they don't want people to realize how simple it actually is
2: yeah yeah yeah
0: well yeah. Mate, so why, don't we, why don't we kick it off mate and, and you know really you know uh you know off air we chatted just a little bit about you know you and your philosophy you know managing over a, a billion dollars or helping people invest over a billion dollars uh, you know you know over many years but you, you know, specialise in the conversation around sort of, uh, you know, asset classes or styles of assets rather than direct, you know, uh, asset investing or, or direct investments. You know, can you give us like a five-minute conversation about, you know, you know what that means to sort of someone on the street, or, you know, someone listening in right now potentially and then, you know, how you came about that version of the world for investing for, for, for you and your clients?
3: Yeah, well, at the end of the day, as uh, Andy mentioned earlier, we, we think things should be evidence-driven, right? They should be, they should be driven by the facts. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is that um, the asset class you invest in, whether, you, whether you're invested or not invested, is always going to have a much bigger um, influence on your end result as opposed to, you know, which particular stock in the stock market you've picked or which particular bonds you've held or you know whether you've got a particular property um the choice the decision as to whether you're going to invest in them at all and the amount that you're going to be doing it is going to have a far greater um influence on not only the not only your end result but the the path in which you follow to get there yeah right and so that's why we've gone about building we have built our business uh it's it's predominantly quantitative actually as, as andy talked about cliff asinus he's actually pretty famous um guy he founded aqr um
1: i think i butchered his name when uh when i commented on it earlier yeah that's that's okay
3: i just coincidentally know his stuff because anyway um yeah uh, so we do a a lot of what we do is very systematic so very data-driven as you as you kind of highlighted but recognizing that no model is perfect and it can never can be perfect and so therefore We've got some very experienced professionals inside the the team who will provide input um, and some oversight, and I describe it as, uh, you know, the 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 quantitative component is like a compass that tells you which direction you want to go, but the the subjective component, the professionalism, tells you what mode of transport is the most appropriate way to get there.
1: Right. So, kind of summarising it, it's kind of like, well, if they're so let's talk about some thematic things at the moment. So they, they talk about Australia being uh, very much commodity-driven through some of its success at the moment. So uh, And let's talk about renewables as well. Uh, and you kind of go, well, they're two themes, uh, and you can either choose to pick let's back commodities and renewables, or you can choose to go uh, BHP is going to do better than Woodside or it's going to do better than uh you uh, know, the the next player in town. Um, so basically what you're saying is you look at the the, the part of the, the system that's going to move more mm-hmm. so than the actual underlying within that system who are going to be the movers and shakers.
3: Yeah, correct, because we can invest in just about any market anywhere in the world. We can, we can make money off currency. We can make money off all the different plethora of bonds that you can invest in, um, you know. Various equity markets, as I mentioned to you previously, Andy. You know we've had exposures to Europe that we got out. We've got exposures to the FTSE 100, which has been a fantastic place to invest. Well, well
1: let's let's talk to that because sometimes uh, you know when I'm sitting in, in my seat, sometimes the uh, the things that I look at, I go, they're so obvious. But when I sit in my seat, I don't have the capacity to move that quickly. And so what I kind of look from from our managers is to that the people who are managing the the, the funds that they move quickly. Right, mm. and they make the decisions. But sometimes there's these big, bloody signs, and Jason and I talk about them all the time. You can see it a mile away, but at our level, we can't transact to be able to move everybody's money so quickly because there's there's a whole lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes. Uh, but you can see it a mile away, and and so Europe was one of those things for for you not too long ago, by the sounds of things. So,
0: can I ask a quick reverse up question before we dive into that? Like, so can like for thirty seconds, Dan asset classes can you give us you know high level medium level whatever is there three is there five is there 60 is there like like you know do do you know what i mean because you know in my wall it's like it's it's real estate it's real estate and it's real estate you know but Mm -hmm. it's like commercial industrial and you know whatever but you know just just for a little context
3: yeah no that's a good that's a good point and in fact depending on what i can go down to very granular levels and then it opens up the number can be massive but so if you start at the top you start at the really big things which are equity markets what i call debt markets but the industry calls it fixed interest which i think is a bit of a misnomer but debt markets property infrastructure um, and cash and then within those within equities you've got different geographies different sectors different styles same thing with fixed income you've got Floating rate, you've got fixed, you've got corporate bonds versus government bonds versus loans, like all of these sub-asset classes. Yeah. And in fact, it's the analysis of those sub-asset classes and what it is that's driving the risk in those that we've added the most value um, to clients. Yeah. Because really, I, Europe's an example I could talk about.
2: Anything um, yeah, yeah.
3: I could talk about, silver bullion, but a really simple one is everyone's talking about inflation, right? So we were publishing about uh, in I think it was in February twenty twenty one. I said, look, the market's kind of pricing in a zero probability that inflation's ever going to be anything higher than one to two percent. And whilst I can't model inflation, I, I can't, I don't pretend to. In fact, I don't think anyone in the world can. Yeah. I know the probability of it um, <laughs> not getting above that isn't zero. So <laughs> therefore, um, I should do something about that in clients' portfolios um so that's what we did um we reduced the interest rate sensitivity so if we go into a rate hiking cycle those assets are not um so within within the debt markets we massively reduced what are called fixed rates bonds which are the ones that get as rates go up the price goes down yeah. and increase yeah. the ones that are called floating rate which means they're linked to you know the rates themselves they're floating they float with the rates
0: and and Um, is that three and ten and thirty year bonds or is it like like a different version of the world andy andy's been schooling me a little bit on it
3: yeah so any anywhere from 30 days out to 30 years
1: wow okay yeah and it's kind of the reverse jace of uh short uh like a fixed term loans you you can get a fixed term one year a fixed term two year three year five year ten year apparently you said you can get a fixed year 30 year from someone uh yeah which is crazy right but uh, what, But the the equity markets kind of in this cycle work the opposite way in that right now you want to be variable, right, because as interest rates go up, you want to be able to get more and more interest as as the interest rates go up, mm-hmm. whereas fixed means you lock your money in like a fixed rate loan and you yeah. lock it in at th- 2% for two years and then interest rates go up to 3%, well, you've missed out on something and that's, yeah. that's effectively what Dan's talking yeah. about. Yeah.
3: yeah, and also... When inflation's higher the value of a dollar next year is not worth as much because it's you know it doesn't it doesn't buy as much right so yeah. that's why locking it in you're giving stuff up not only could you if you hadn't locked it in could you reinvest it at a higher rate but the amount you're getting is worthless
2: yeah
0: and you know Andy and i talk about this all the time i i, I do it to you know stir up a little bit of uh, emotion in 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 our clients but we have a little saying called cash is trash, Dan. Like it's just like, you know, if you're sitting on cash, it's devaluing, you know, and
3: it's yeah, and... a guaranteed negative return.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I said that this morning, actually. I don't know. Were you listening to my bloody wealth copy <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, I published it a while ago and yeah, the presentation on it sounds like. And we Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's an e- bias, Andy. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> But our, our broad philosophy is money. Money is best when it's circulating, and it's mm. it's it, the idea is that you want it to cir- uh, circulate, or like a topography sort of a, on a on, on landscape. You want it to to circulate to that that point of balance, uh, and yes. if you can be one of the, the the faster moving streams in there, unless you're a stream. <laughs>
3: that's a great comment
0: (laughs) usually i'd expect that from jeff allison but uh you know good work you know tonight
1: (laughs) so um so it's a matter about getting there first so part of what what you sort of do dan is is start to look at okay where's the water flowing next like uh you know where's where's that next low point uh not necessarily on a stock basis but you know in markets and and so you you went through an exercise recently uh, in Europe. Like what what gave you the the, the signs? Because this might help us understand, you know, in the future where things or how to look. But what were you looking at in, in where, before you made the call on Europe? Because it was a pretty aggressive call, and it was a it was a successful call, but um, uh, but not many people kind of made it. What what made you go? Okay, this is where we need to be. And then what made you sort of start to 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 get out?
3: Okay, I'll try and not be too technical, but um, you, uh, equity markets, if you want to make it simple, you can break it down into the return uh, from the underlying companies. That's why you own them, because they generate a, a profit that you'll, you'll benefit from um, uh, at some point in the future, dividends, and how much those profits can grow throughout time. And so Europe in 2021 to us looked reasonably attractive, not only from that um, earnings growth component, but the amount you were paying for it, because that's, remember at the start I said, the amount you pay is um, is going to be key yep. to what you're going to get as an end result. So yep. what we refer to as valuation. Um, and there's a number of different ways you can calculate that. Um, but coming into February, there was one analyst, well, my co-founder, Dinya Irani in particular said, look, the the market, we've we've got some good gains on this. Things have done really well, however, whilst everybody's saying that Putin's unlikely to invade russia it's that's not in the price whereas in the whereas in the u k which was another European uh, so yeah like a European exposure but that market itself was substantially cheaper with higher quality of earnings and we thought that well look at the outside probability that there is an invasion of the Ukraine. this is going to be this is going to be a more secure place to have capital and turns out it was it turns out it was a good call um but you know some of that's luck um but there was a there was a there was a process behind it there was a system behind it but yeah
1: you know what brexit was one that that caught me out with my pants down a little bit in in a similar sort of a scenario because i thought there was no way in the world that um that brexit was going to happen but but sometimes, so you're going from a price perspective because nobody had priced it into the market. It was actually a, it was a very healthy, let's not say bet, but it was a very healthy position to take because it was so contrary to everybody else that was out there that if it actually came off, it was going to make a big difference.
3: Yeah, we did. Um, do you remember in COVID when oil prices? The oh, technical yeah. component went negative in the futures. Anyway,
1: we so, bought. Um, so just just so everybody knows what Dan's talking about is when it went negative in the futures, this is literally when oil companies were paying. They were literally paying people to hold tankers of oil. They were literally like they were going, Witten, how much space have you got in your backyard? Because we've got a big tanker of oil which we want to put there and you can have it. We don't want anything for it. You can have it and then do what you will with it and literally this was an incredible kind of movement that i don't think we'd really seen i don't think i'd ever seen before no never
3: never never seen before no never and um so we we looked at it and said look we can't forecast where the oil price is going to go but we know (laughs) that even the saudis can't produce it at much less than 20 bucks and it's currently zero so What's the market priced it in as? Like for the companies, the underlying companies, are they priced oil in at 15 bucks? Well, we know at 15 bucks, that means every oil refinery in the world will be shut down. That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) So is it going to 40, 60, 100? I don't know. but I know it's not going to stay at zero. So we allocated to it. We thought that'd be in the portfolios for three, four years. It was there for five months and snapped (laughs) back massively. We went, all right, out. In fact, we had a few clients, so why'd you get out so early? You got out when oil got to sixty bucks. We're like, well, because we don't know if it's going higher or lower. I can't predict that, but I can I can tell you it's not going to be less than the cost of production, because otherwise you just shut the wells off.
1: Yeah, and and so this 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 is something that and 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 mate, this is the reason I think that you and I started to get along so well uh, back when we first met is because. Jason and I were talking about this when it happened because literally when oil prices went there, I was telling everyone on my business like literally they're, they're paying to store it. It's like you, it's like negative interest rates. It's like the bank is actually getting money from you to store your money there, and you kind of go, mm. "Hang on, what? Like this doesn't make." They're literally going, "Take the oil. We can't. We we just need it gone." Do whatever you want with it, you know. Give it to your mates. We don't care. You know. Have a big oil party, whatever the case may be. And I was like, Jace, this is like this isn't going to continue. It's not like all of a sudden oil is just going to stockpile in in Texas, and then Texas is going to become the black state because it's just covered in oil. Like this wasn't going to happen. Yeah, correct. Um, so, you know, when when I think, and and this is what I think that most investors out there actually think as well like when people put their money into super funds and when people put their money you know into portfolio managers or with advisors and things out there and and me as an advisor for for, for the for quite a few years thought that fund managers that that's what they do they they're going to go yeah yeah that makes sense let's get in but why why doesn't what on mass why doesn't that seem to happen uh for
3: people to protect their careers it's 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 fine to be wrong as long as you're wrong with everyone else but it doesn't work out if you're wrong and um no one else is there with you yeah so it's more career management rather than looking after the end client um and you see that is just so ingrained in the industry i i just cannot tell you how it's yeah Uh, people people look after their careers before they look after their clients um and yet if, if if you're wrong along with everyone else no one will crucify you for it but if you're willing to go and take a bet, you're willing to make a, um, an active position, which is what you get paid to do, by the way, yeah. um, and you are proven wrong, well, that's a pretty lonely place to be. But yeah. we've found that most clients, as long as you get more wrong than right, like, you're not going to get everything right. But they don't actually expect you to get everything right. They want you to get more wrong than right. When you get it right, you've got a greater magnitude as well. And so that's what we seem to have been able to consistently do, um, thankfully, for yeah. a decade now.
0: And Andy was sort of telling me about, you know, some of the, you know, some of those decisions you guys have made over time, you know, and obviously, you know, you don't get a billion dollars to invest on behalf of, you know, I'm sure pretty wealthy individuals, you know, without sort of, you know, earning it. You know, maybe we can sort of change gears for 30 seconds and talk about, you know, the philosophy about that sort of stuff, Dan, you know, like, you know, when wealthy people come to you, or you know, it doesn't have to be wealthy people, but someone with money says, "Hey, I want my money to work for me." You know, what are they expecting? What, what, you know, you know, what's your mandate? Like, you know, what do you, yeah. what do you say to someone? You know, hey, I'm going to take your money, but here's what you can expect. You know,
3: yeah, there's 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 two there's there's actually two things. So, predominantly, when people come to you, I describe it as. um uh relative return on the way up and absolute return on the way down now that sounds like some jargon what it means is that when clients come to you in a bull market when um things are going well they want you to do better than the market and then the absolute part is but if it goes down i don't want you to lose anything Like, oh, okay well you might find that um the only people who have done that in the past are ponzi schemes like uh, bernie madoff but
2: yeah
3: (laughs) Um, so what our, our philosophy is is that um, the behavioural element, as we were kind of mentioning earlier before the, the uh, podcast, uh, sorry, before the um, video started, the behavioural element is, is is visceral to people um, and understanding how much risk they can tolerate, yes. really, like how much they can actually see. And I'm, and I'm talking about stuff like um, not, there's a lot of people out there that say, oh, I've, unless you realise the losses, they don't count. I'm like, yeah, yeah, hang on. If you've got a loss on paper, you've invested in an asset, and the losses of a magnitude that a client can't tolerate, they're likely to pull it out. If yeah. they do that, it derails all the strategy, it derails everything that is involved in wealth creation throughout time, because what you told them was, you're gonna get this amount of risk, and what they got was that much. Yeah. So our philosophy is about, Let's be very strict and very clear on what the potential risks are and what the maximum levels of risk are that we'll take, and we will try to maximise the level of return without breaching it. Yeah. Um, and that way, clients can stay a lot more comfortable with their investments because unless we breach what's on the sticker label, you know, we're still doing our job.
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: So that, that seems to have resonated pretty heavily, which is how we got that money through the door. so Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: And and Andy chatted about this and, you know, waxing waxing a bit of lyrical and maybe soapboxing, as I said, you know, as we sort of chatted off off air, you know, soapboxes are welcome here at uh, you know, Wealthwine and Wisdom. But um, you know, the industry of uh, you know, certainly financial planning, you know, and and I'm not uh that experienced in the world of you know, your world in the investment management, but you know, you know, the financial planning is so heavily regulated and really just red tape and and it it's actually quite sad that you know you know there's a stat saying that you know 100,000 less Australians in 2022 now seek financial advice because of all the regulatory issues and financial planners have left you know that industry in droves because of the the risk associated with helping someone organize their their financial well-being you know so you know that challenge you have to balance the client's outcome, but also like be, you know, realistic and be able to chase the return, but also, you know, not be, you know, hung, drawn and quartered by, you know, something that would be a normal, you know, risk to take. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. it's a it's it's ludicrous that the industry is in such I don't know, fucking disarray, to be honest, in that sort of space where the balance for you as a a financial planner is just, you know, is ludicrous for the for the for the behaviour,
1: you know. So, well, me me as a financial planner and Dan as the investment manager, uh, but um, but uh, this is this is the this is the uh, this is almost the oxymoron, and it's an nexus which people just don't understand, and because uh, uh, you, you actually think that, uh, and I think Dan said it earlier on. And, and this goes to the, the media, it's, it's almost the, the polar opposite to the media, is that nowadays it's about job and bonuses uh, and, and I think that uh, one of us might have said it earlier on, I won't tell it who it was, but uh, investment managers, uh, you know, their, their, their value is based off their bank account, their individual bank account, not based on their performance. Uh, and what ends up happening in a world, uh, you know, and you, Jace, you and I, we want to stand out. Uh, uh, we want to stand out giving the right sort of tips or, or, or giving the right information. We don't want to stand out for creating sensationalist headlines. But it's almost its like the, the world of funds management seems to have gone the opposite direction in that now everybody is too scared to, to wander mm-hmm. too far away from the index, and the index is the global market or the ASX, which is the whole Australian market. They're, they're too afraid from standing too far apart from it because as soon as you're apart, then all of a sudden there's a big light on you, and if if you get it wrong, then the media beat the living bejesus out of you, even if it was the right decision to make, but just a little bit of wrong timing, and mm-hmm. uh, and and some of the it, something which I could illustrate from from my experience is that we uh, we had a couple of people who uh, who brought a reasonably large amount of cash in just before COVID uh, hit, and um, and when the market was falling. Just it just dropped over two weeks. The market just got decimated. It was like, and and you and I, Jace, we were were at a function together, and we were were filming stuff the night before to launch in the morning. And by the time the morning came, the market had dropped that that much that it was it was obsolete. And and we was and we were like, this you've you've got to get in. And they're like, you crazy? This is the worst time you could ever possibly get in the world. The whole world is going to blow up. Uh, and we, we had a fairly equal side of the fifty percent that said, Okay, yeah. Which is the disaster scenario, Jace, that you and I talk about is like, well, if the world is really going to to cash where we're gonna be um trading gold, um, well, the reality is that if there's a massive nuclear war and the whole thing's wiped out off the face of the planet, well, people are gonna be going for food, cans of baked beans, probably bullets and guns, uh, and things like that. The last thing they're gonna to want to fight over is gold. So there's this 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 disconnect of, of, of rationale, um, if that kind of makes sense in an esoteric way. But um, it's a matter of being able to stand out enough or make those calls like you did uh, at the beginning of COVID and kind of go, well, this is what we believe based on the data. Yeah. You know, there's not enough people and there's not enough places, therefore all other things being equal, property prices should go up. Dan's kind of alluded to it with with Europe uh, and oil. It's like, well, oil cannot be – the oil companies cannot give you money to take the oil away from them for the next 10 years. It's just not going to happen. At some point in time, they're going to ask uh, for some money back to buy that oil and to make those decisions. It sounds commonsensical, but for whatever reason, it doesn't happen on a common basis.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I the the uh, – the the conversation I think when you know people are trying to make sense of things the the fear and uh, the sensationalism of where they get good information well you know not good information but information from really taints that Andy and Dan you know do you get you know you know it's really interesting like Andy and I Andy talked about sort of me starting from the bottom up like I've got sort of the Aussie Battler clients and customers, which I love. Like that's kind of where I grew up. And, you know, yeah, like I grew up with nothing and, you know, created something, you know, and, and in the scheme of things, it's not much, but still something that I'm I'm happy with. You know, but you know, like what I've experienced is like, no matter whether you've got a lot or a little. Still, the media has some effect on your psychology, emotionally or mentally, when it comes to investing, right? Do, do you get clients calling you and say, I read the newspaper and I and I want out? Like, do, do you know what I mean? I read the headlines, or is that different at, at sort of different levels for you?
3: For me, or for Andy? Is,
0: uh, I, for you, I think I, it's like, you know, yeah. Uh,
3: yeah. Um, I have experienced it in the past where, particularly in the GFC. That's when yeah. people okay. were calling all the time panicking. Yeah. This time around, it's actually been, I mean, the, the sell off for the first six months of this year was actually reasonably orderly as the fundamental information in regards to inflation and global economies was deteriorating, prices were going down. and prices were going down in those assets that were more richly priced than the ones that were cheaper. And so to me, I was saying to my team, a lot of people are saying this is pandemonium, but honestly, this is probably the most rational the market's been in a long time um, because things are deteriorating and so stuff is worth less or you should pay less um, than what you did, you were prepared to pay a year ago. Um, I, I've, I've spoken to a number of a, a number of advisors now and I'm like, how many calls are you getting? Like, not really any. Because yeah, right. it, half, the other half of an investment manager's job, Andy, I think is communication is actually telling people what it is you're doing, why you're doing it, and so if clients know what you're doing and why you're doing it, and they can understand it, they know you're not going to get everything right. But as you pointed out, it might have been for all the right reasons. But you can't like you just can't get everything right. That's why you probability probability weight your position sizes and you diversify across different assets. Um, You know, at certain points in time, the potential upside is not very high and the uh, uh, the level of uncertainty is high at those points in time diversify more have more stuff yeah there's a mathematical way you can do it but i'm not we won't go through it but um if you if anyone's interested just google something called the kelly criterion anyway um was, we're we're, we're going to
1: get questions on that next week, aren't we? I better brush up yeah, on the Kelly
3: criterion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the guy who invented card counting, Ed Thorpe, was one of the best hedge fund managers of all time. He he deploys, he used the Kelly criterion in his position sizing. But in layman's terms, it's if the, the potential upside's low, the uncertainty's high, then spread your bets. Yeah. But if you can find some things that you've got a high level of confidence in with a lot of potential upside, there's no point in spreading your bets. Start to combine them together. You might want some hedges in place just in case you're wrong because no one's ever right all the time, but you don't need to have as much spread. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, that that does make sense, you know. Um, I, I, I think that's great. And, you know, as we, you know, having this conversation, I'm thinking, you know, with your exposure to, you know, good information and, you know, lots of different things, you know, different machinations around the world economically, you know, one to five, you know, things to keep an eye on for, you know, Australian investors, like, you know, sh- you know, in share investors, property investors, business owners, you know, listening in, you know, just say, hey, what, what's on the sort of the amber light watch, watch list for for Dan, you know, when it comes to, to Australians?
3: Um, at the moment, we quite like looking at, so, uh, floating rate bonds, um, there's a few... ETFs that you can buy to get access to them, they've gone from yielding, you can buy stuff that, so if you've ever heard of credit ratings, they start at AAA and then they get yep. down to BBB and then below BBB into the Cs and you get sub-investment grade or junk bonds. Um, in that investment grade space, it looks like it's priced in probably a 50% chance of global recession, whereas if you look at the high yield space, the, the sub-investment grade junk bond space, it's probably about a... Twenty odd percent chance of recession, and some of the stuff I've seen in the news is that they've said, "Oh, equities have priced in a X percent chance of recession." Da da da. If I look at just broad equity indices and use a series of valuation metrics on them compared to their own history, the the equity market really is only priced in about fifteen to twenty percent likelihood of recession. Now, what does that mean? Why does that? Why do I then say that? Um, so we quite like those floating rate instruments that are pricing in the fifty percent chance of recession because you can own A plus or double A rate right, minus rated instruments yielding three point nine, four point one. So this is where you deploy your cash that's going to yeah. guarantee you a negative return. Um, <laughs> uh, you deploy it to these areas because really only one or two things can happen: either the the, the recession occurs. And you're getting a decent yield, and you're being compensated for it already because it's in the price, or it doesn't, and you get capital appreciation as well as that, you know, four percent yield.
2: Yeah, yeah,
3: that's that's interesting today. And in three months' time, it might be very different, but um, that's why that's worthwhile looking at today because the equity market is not priced in a massive probability of global recession, but there are areas of the market that have.
1: And is that true of uh, Australia, Europe, and US as as example, uh, or yes. yeah, uh, systematically right across the board?
3: Um, oh, in developed markets, yes. Developed yeah. markets, yes. Not so much emerging markets, but emerging markets have the have the extra. I would argue an extra nuance in that China is the biggest um, allocation within those emerging markets, and I don't think the markets fully priced in the ramifications of the zero zero COVID policy. yeah yeah, yeah. how do you run an economy where you've got a zero COVID policy with 1.4 billion people well it's not everybody it's in the major capital cities but it just doesn't work which is why we've got supply chain issues
1: yeah right we just don't show anybody the balance sheet and then nobody knows isn't it
3: yeah yeah (laughs) there's (laughs) no problem broadly the answer
1: um (laughs) But right, so maybe cash isn't trash. Maybe it's the mobilisation and, and, uh, and then where you choose to deploy that. But, Dan, is the reason oh, why I
0: mean, If there a, is like your cash, it. make sure it's not trash. Like, you know, this is the thing. You just leave it in a bank
1: account. Well, you know... Well, you know it's similar to we what we were, we were talking about last week because we were talking about how the banks have uh, longer-dated fixed-term uh, rates. Uh, as opposed to the shorter date. So shorter dated fixed-term rates were higher than longer-term rates. Uh, it's a similar sort of concept that Dan's going, well, as the interest rates are rising in these floating rate notes, which means they're going to go up and down, right? Um, they're going to go up and down. But at the moment, you can get a higher value right, or a higher interest rate on them. And as it actually depreciates or if interest rates go over time, then you can actually get the capital upkick because as interest rates go down, um, if you 've got them in earlier, then all other things being equal your your money actually goes up in value unless i 've completely butchered what you said dan but um, <laughs> what what i was what what I was very keen to understand is do you reckon that the reason why the market hasn 't priced in uh a recession because america 's actually changed the technical definition of what a recession is <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, i i i don 't think that i think it 's um there's an entire generation of people sitting in in the old shop like you were at and investment banks in charge of quite a lot of money that have only ever known falling interest rates and falling inflation and that as long as there's um, a central bank in place that's going to backstop them, you buy the dip. So I think that's where it's come from. So we haven't seen We haven't seen that disorderly panic yet, right? But I would argue you have in the fixed income space. And that is the space that usually moves before the equity market does. So it's worthwhile um, keeping an eye on. So across those different asset classes and sub-asset classes i talked about. Did I hear
0: hear just a little bit of a too big to fail, Fenton? Um, Andy Andy talks about this conversation about too big to fail. If the government's behind it, you know, or it's going to rescue it, Dan. You know, it's not a bad place to to put a little bit of your uh, allocation. You know, so you're saying, okay, if it's if the government's got to like rescue it, even if it gets into trouble, you know, it's not a bad defensive play. You know, like, is that?
3: I sort of I it, more that um, I believe there's a there's a massive number of traders out there that think that if there's if anything goes wrong, Federal yeah. Reserve, your own power will come to the rescue and inject capital okay yeah That it, it was originally called the Greenspan put then the Bernanke put and now it's the power put um, <laughs> which is they'll they'll underwrite it they'll they'll buy anything that's not bolted to the ground if things get too difficult but and that's kind of what this this relief rally has been in that we had a 9.1 percent um uh year on year uh, CPI print in the US and then yeah. it printed 8.5 so everyone's like okay it's peaked therefore rates aren't going to go up as much and Powell's very quick to come on and say, no, we are still in a rate hiking cycle. 8.5 is still eye watering. I mean, <laughs> we, you have to go back a fair way to get, um, to look at 8.1% um, inflation, especially when wages growth is not keeping up with it. It's uh, yeah, it kind of, it, it, it seems a little bit odd that people would be rallying on that because you're a long way from that long-term target of two. Going from nine point one down to eight point five, but
1: but it begs the question, right? If if the if the Fed always backs, then where where does it end up?
3: Yeah, well, do they always back though? Because I one of the things I was uh, saying in twenty twenty one was that I said I reckon inflation will be the great equalizer because they won't be able to back everything whilst inflation is in, is in above um, a level of comfort now. I I genuinely think they want inflation to be higher than that 2% level. They they would actually like it to be about 3 or 4 for a good decade or so to make up for the last decade. Yeah, yeah. Um, but 8 is eight is off, just off is, it's, it's way it's off the charts. Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well,
0: it's an yeah. interesting one too, like my in my in my neck of the woods, you know, in relative terms, um, you know, rents have actually gone down over the last decade. Um in comparison to what, you know, you'd expect because the, the cost base with interest rates have, have gone down. You know, we're, we're actually seeing, you know, I, I don't know if this is the right term, but like some sort of mean reversion where right now it's like, you know, hey, listen, you know, the cost base and landlords often, unfortunately, are quite lazy. They don't sort of maintain their yields as much as they should, you know, and it's like we're seeing quite aggressive rent rises right now but it's really just making up for 10 years of not putting the rents up yeah. because interest rates went down, you know. Like, it's like it's not really that bad, folks, if you say, you know, the last 10 years nothing's gone up, you know. So, you know.
3: yeah,
0: yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting in that space.
3: Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, it's a good analogy. You're right, is the underlying price has gone up because people could just borrow for next to nothing. Yeah. The issue is those that another behavioural buyer, short-termism, People that just assume that it's going to be like that forever.
2: Yeah, yeah. Problem,
3: right? Yeah. Um, You can't assume that what occurred, you know, in the last six months is going to occur in the next six months. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You do that. That's how. That's a really smart. That's a really fast way to get burnt at some point.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Andy and I call them good time charlies. Like you know, they just. (laughs) <laughs> they come to the party late and they think this is yeah. this is a great party. This will last forever. I, I bought,
1: bought afterpay I, and and I lost it when it went past it. Well, gee, it's like <laughs> I got it, I got it, and, I, and, and, and there it is, and there it it's is. Uh, and
3: the, the meme stocks are the others where
1: you know oh, man, uh, you get a whole a
3: bunch of people piling into stuff that doesn't actually make any money, and you're like, well, if it doesn't make any money, how can it be worth? Or it won't ever make any money. How can it be worth? Anything. What you're basically doing is playing something called the Game of the Greater Fool, which is <laughs> you need to find someone who's a bigger fool than you to take it off your hands for more than what you paid for it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I reckon we might steal that one. I reckon that, that, that <laughs> might become a, a common vernacular over here, the Game <laughs> of the Greater Fool. Uh, I, reckon that, I reckon that's a cracker. And But, you know, it, I think, um, and, and I'll ask the question in a minute, uh, Dan, like, you know where 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 is your flavour like like where where crystalbot we won't hold you to it but the things that you're interested in um outside of the floating rate notes um but uh you know the, the kind of themes and it can be as wacky and as wild as you, as as you want to be uh but as and so that's the question but I'll, I'll kind of position it beforehand is that what we're seeing now and what I've learnt from jace in the property game, which is true in the in in the stock world or in the investment world, is is and and it's this thing called the flight to quality, right? And mm-hmm. um, and in times where good time Charlies are making uh, you know bets on meme stocks and riding up after pay, and then when it just shoots back down and they've lost money on it, they were rich one day and gone the next. Uh, you know once once this this period of time sort of uh, it finishes, uh, which which is almost like a an emotional anomalous blip, right? That if you're fast enough to be on the right side of it and get out, right? And and getting out is the biggest problem because most people fall in love with that that made them rich and famous, or made them a twenty percent return, so they don't sell out, which means that then they're negative ten as it's fallen thirty five percent. You do the math down. You're better than me on that. Um, but but ultimately, what we're seeing now is is the flight to quality what i can gather in 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 real estate in in resi side of the equation uh but I won't comment to that because that's Jace. but certainly we're seeing you know uh where I say cash is king uh i say but it's from a different perspective it's cash flow is king in yeah. that good cash flows yeah. strong cash flows providing operations, good stuff that's going to keep going no matter what happens, all of a sudden this not very fancy but very boring, pragmatic just stuff that's just going to keep making money all of a sudden starts to kick in and so you have the the emotional up and down and then when you get to periods like now, it's, it's the flight to quality which means that good position in property or whatever, I'm not going to comment, I'm going to screw it up, Jace, but in stock world it's Companies that are positioned well in the right sectors that have great forward-looking cash flows, they they will they will profit. And those sectors, uh, like the Australia mining resources sort of sector, has propped the Australian economy up a, a bit of recent times as well, and got us through the last GFC. Um, you know that that held us up. That sector, those companies had great forward income booked well 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 in advance. So it was that flight to quality um so mate, while i've given my little maybe uneducated uh preamble to it mate what are, what are the things that you like as as loose or as radical or as as pragmatical as as you want to be what 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 do you like
3: yeah at, at the moment you don't need to be loose or radical i don't think um probably the most out there thing that we like which isn't out there at all i don't think anyone would argue that this is a bad idea is soft soft commodities is agricultural stocks and Reason being is that if you look at the price of them, they're not ridiculously expensive. So I, I, if you don't mind, Andy, I wouldn't mind putting a caveat to that flight to quality component. Totally. Normally when things go bad, people will, you know, flood to the quality end of the spectrum, whether it be property or it's AAA-rated bonds or it's businesses with really predictable earnings, et cetera. The caveat that I've been saying for uh, quite a while now is, yeah, but how much do you pay for it because there are a lot of managers that i've spoken to and i'll just use equities as an example who um, say yeah but people will pay call quali- they'll pay any price for quality i'm like well no actually they won't if you're a student of history go back to the 60s and there was a basket of stocks called the nifty 50. these days the nifty 50 is an index in india um, but back in the 60s it was an index of the biggest names in the world Procter and gamble mcdonald's coca-cola You know, you name the big, big things back then. um, And that's what sell side brokers were selling to their clients. And they overpaid for them. And those businesses, the majority of them were fantastic businesses that continued being profitable, but you overpaid for them. So it took a long time to get your money back. In many circumstances, you were down 80 percent. You had to stick around for decades. And the modern day equivalent is something like Microsoft. If you bought it in 2000, you didn't make your money back until 2016, and yet it increased its profitability the entire time. There was nothing wrong with the business. It was a great business. You just paid too much for it. Mm. So it always, that's why I come back to this price argument that the price is the, the greatest dictator of what your long-term return will be. Because you can even buy, if something's not really worth a whole lot, but you, you pick it up for next to nothing, you can still make some profit out of that too. Um that, that can be a way to to invest. Now, um, I, I think that there's going to be an opportunity to invest back into that quality into the spectrum, Andy. But uh, at the start of this year, I was arguing that it was too expensive because it had run so hard. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, but there'll be another bite of the cherry at some point in the future. It's all about being patient, right? This is not a short term. This is not a short term trading game.
1: No, I love no. that. I absolutely <laughs> love that. I, I, and thank you for correcting me because I reckon that's probably the best uh, best simplistically articulated version of uh, if the P is is outrageous, then the E doesn't matter. And what I mean by that, it's there's a thing that you'll hear in markets, uh, you hear maybe your financial advisor talk about it, investment managers talk about it all the time it's uh, price to earnings. And Jason and I talk about it in simple terms in business all the time. Uh, if if the P is too high, then the E doesn't matter, uh, sure. which means the price is too high, then it doesn't matter how much it's earning. Um, so the P has always got to be relative. The price has always got to be relative to the, the, the future earning potential. And Correct. so to summarise, you know, the, the flight to quality doesn't just mean, all right, everyone should just go into to buying General Electric because it's got a great income stream or or the banks because they've got great forward-looking income streams. It's a matter of, well, y- yes. But at the right price. Correct.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's it's, exactly
0: right. It's, it's the same gig actually. Right now, for literally the last six months, or probably it turned in November last year in the real estate game, where where the market, you know, for decent stuff, overpriced drastically, and um, you know we changed uh, we changed a few gears in our uh, in our mechanism as well. So yeah, you know, and I, I think there's there's a there's a little bit further complications in the world of real estate right now with the the pricing of materials and deliverables um you know in 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 my game so it brings a few dimensions to it but no matter which way you slice that you know you know some properties you know which Andy you and I've chatted about yeah. endlessly you know like wow you know you'd, you'd want a piece of that location every day of the week and I'm like well not at 200 grand more than it was you know 6 months ago nah nah well We'll just leave that alone for another year or two and I reckon we'll get it for a better price, you know.
3: And it's not an accident that you see the same thing in residential property as you do. I'm talking about equity markets, but the flight to quality could be to AAA rated bonds, which we've seen previously. It's because it's people and systems. Um, And irrespective of the market, everybody's susceptible to these common biases that we have. Yeah, right. so it's the um, flight to where it was
1: the start. Yeah, the flight to it. Yeah, but <laughs> and that and that's where they go. I, I love it. The It should be the year, but index. I reckon. <laughs> uh, I reckon, Dan, you 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 could be the creator of the year, but index.
0: Wait, well, we've got the rogue, the renegade, and the year, but I think that.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Mate, that's it. I, I reckon we we we, we would uh, we'd be. <laughs> <laughs> we, we're doing ama- Can you imagine it? Uh, and today on Bloomberg, ladies and gentlemen, the Year But Index is up twenty eight, uh, and that's after a two hundred and eighty five uh, basis point rise the day before. But all doesn't seem to be uh, shiny on the horizon. I reckon that's an absolute bloody cracker. I reckon that's an absolute cracker, and uh, I think we should all be looking for the Year Buts uh, a little bit, uh, a little bit deeper, and maybe asking that Year But question. Mm. Uh, a little bit more in in regards to our advisors and um, and you know just
3: when we our own theses. The yeah, you, you want you want to question your own theses all the time. Yeah, right. If yep. you don't understand the other side of the argument, then you don't even understand yours, really.
0: Totally. Yeah, yeah. I I always I you know. I. and <laughs> well, <a> mind blown.
1: <laughs> Mate, I reckon that could be used in domestic arguments around the world tonight. <laughs> And Don't that,
0: that, start that, Penton We'll be out of control.
1: The <laughs> divorce index just went up a hundred basis points. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jesus,
0: yeah. Jesus, that's gold. Uh, that is gold. Well, uh, gents, I've got to do a yeah, but for both of you because I have a uh, I have a date with my uh, the love of my life, and um, we uh, she's already put it in the chat. Look at this we can argue that over dinner um <laughs> because uh we uh the the reason we're out and about is uh uh 30 years we've known each other um oh, and this man, is our that's amazing 30 year weekend away and uh we're gonna go up to dinner so i, I gotta juge myself <laughs> up fellas you know i'm not uh i'm not appropriately attired for uh for the love of my life right now so i need a moment or two
1: <laughs> jason's gotta go and don on a tux and uh <laughs> <laughs> mate, well i'm i'm sure it'll be amazing whatever it is uh that you've got planned hopefully majorly spectacular it doesn't really need to be it just needs to be the two of you uh in a in a uh, loving atmosphere looking the congratulations.
0: To brisbane city and the brisbane river tonight and it's going to be it's going to be lovely so well, no hoodie i've got instructions how to dress no hoodie and no t-shirts
1: okay yeah. <laughs> and and shay is now dubbed the patron saint of patience uh, and, uh, uh mate, well uh yeah. mate, well, always good to catch up with you jay stan mate thanks for for coming on and yeah, that's last appreciated time, it, Dan. I, 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 I know that uh, i know that uh, you'd, uh, you'd you'd had a bit of disturbance in sleep and uh and uh, you were fighting to be here today and we really, really appreciate it, mate. Um, it's these sort of insights, and and like I said, your your mind is quite amazing. And I, I think maybe we should uh, throw some of the the residential real estate statistics at you and see what you make of those things. I think that would be amazing.
0: <laughs> oh no, I would love it. I'm, I'm I'm mad keen to pick your brain on that one, Dan. I'd I'd, I'd love to. I'd love you to uh, you know uh, shoot holes in my my uh, positions because you know I, that's one of the things I loved about you know hanging out with Andy because you know I'm like like somebody tell me tell me why my opinion is like flawed because yeah 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 cuz i want to know like like you know <laughs> it's, yep.
2: yeah yeah and
1: yeah. and that that's definitely my biggest takeaway from today because quite often in my world uh dan and and, and jace when when something feels uncomfortable i say it's the right thing to do yeah and uh and what you just articulated there which was just a it was a nuclear bomb that went off in my brain was if you don't if you don't understand the other side of the argument then you don't understand you, the argument it's <laughs> and it is so true uh and and I think that if there's one nugget that everyone should take away from that is that um you know you understand the other side of the argument and uh and if you do then maybe just maybe you you understand the game that you're playing Yep, yep. Correct. Nice articulation, Correct. Fenton.
0: <laughs> well, gents, fantastic to hang out with both of you as always, Fenton. Nice to nice to hang with you, my friend. And Dan, mate, uh, I hope we could make this a regular a regular thing, and maybe we do it do it in the flesh one day when we're down. Uh, where where are you hail from? Anyway, you're a Malvinite, or a where?
3: Me, I'm I'm in the Snowy Mountains. My team, my business is in Sydney, but I moved to the Snowy Mountains. So Mate, I live, I I live in Jindaby.
0: Ah, I love it. I live in the Gold Coast and my business runs out of Melbourne, so there you go.
1: <laughs> I reckon the reason why both of you uh, have successful businesses is uh, is something linked to the proximity of you and your ideas to the people <laughs> who are behind the actual running of the businesses. Yeah, there's
0: some distance between our... Uh, <laughs> our, our, our...
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't. I can't argue against that. i think you're onto something andy it's it's, well from my point of view yeah
1: Yeah, mate genius excitement and uh and great ideas mate they're 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 the future but sometimes they can be very disruptive for the people around us but uh (laughs) mate thank you for joining us i i really do appreciate it uh thank you ladies and gents for for joining us everyone uh drop in the chat say happy 30th anniversary to to jason and shay and mate uh May you guys enjoy an incredible, loving evening together. And for now, it's a good night from me. And it's a good night from him, folks.
3: Good, good night, night guys. Have a
0: great
2: ben. Thanks, Dan.